What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Matthew McConaughey, an actor, producer, director, philanthropist, and now author of his new book entitled Green Lights. Many of you know Matthew for his breakout role in Richard Linklater's cult classic Dazed and Confused in 1993. Since then, he has appeared in more than 40 feature films. However, Matthew stepped away from acting for two full years and turned down numerous multi-million dollar romantic comedy opportunities to pursue his deeper passion as a dramatic actor. This culminated in his portrayal of Ron Woodruff in Dallas Buyers Club, which earned him not only widespread praise, but the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Matthew is a father, a husband, a wealth of spiritual guidance. His new book, Green Lights, chronicles his inspirational personal and professional pursuits thus far. Matthew, welcome to the show. Brendan, thanks for that introduction. I like that. Thank <laughs> you. My pleasure. So I want to get started with relationships. My mother married my stepfather. They got divorced. They got remarried, but ultimately they got divorced again. Your parents had a similar path, but they wound up two divorces, three remarriages. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about how that impacted you and maybe what you learned that helped you get to this place of the beautiful marriage you have today? Oh, how did it impact? Well, look, at the time, and I write about this in the book, I didn't know. They had had one divorce before I was born, and then I'm born, and then I had a summer with my dad in a trailer park, and I thought mom was on an extended vacation down in Florida. Well, she was on an extended vacation. It was just called a divorce. <laughs> um, so I didn't really find out till later in life. I mean, it did make me go, huh, I guess that's a pretty good example. Can't live with you, can't live without you. And I knew my parents well enough to go, they probably went to those extremes to get divorced just so they could have another honeymoon. You know, it was a little bit of that, a little bit of that, well, dang, we, uh, I want to miss you. I want to miss you so we can come back together. Um, did it make me question marriage? Yes, it did. I knew, and you know, let me tell you a story. My Camilla's parents are similar to your situation. Her parents were married twice, divorced three times to each other. So mine ended up married. Hers ended up divorced. So we both came in going, what is this marriage thing? <laughs> And I knew that I didn't, you know, want to, nor did she want to get married because, oh, it's the thing to do. Oh, that's protocol. Oh, we're going well. We want to spend the rest of our time together. Let's have a family. So let's get married because that's what the book says. I didn't want to back, back into it. I remember feeling like that would be a defensive, almost regressive move. And so I was like, well, if I want to look into marriage more, I'm going to, I'm going to, and, I want to understand the value where I'm going to want to go towards it 
not lean into it because, hey, no harm, no foul. I want, to, I want to want to. I want to need to get married. So her and I started doing some work on what marriage was, talking to different couples and people that had been married successfully for a long time, some that hadn't been married successfully a long time. Did a lot of work with my local pastor, Pastor Dave Haney at Riverbend Church, talking about the covenant of marriage. I, like many of us going into that, that idea felt like, oh my gosh, that may be a destination. And as you know from my book, I'm not a big fan of the, the noun that a destination is. I want to be in motion, you know what I mean? So I was like, oh geez, I'll get married. Is, is, is my life, is my first experience on things only going to be 50% of what it was? And after doing some work on that and trying to, and, and shaking hands with the fact that no, it's actually, you get 100, they get 100, and actually that math is funny because you can go one time one equal 300 you know one times one equal three um through the marriage and the covenant uh with god that you make in a marriage so once i got to the point and she got to the point of going like hey we want to get married let's take this adventure the adventures are about to get doubly exciting not half as exciting that's when we decided to get married and so far so good it's been about eight years um and um yeah we're in it we don't want to go we don't have any plans to do it as our parents did (laughs) Well, amen to that. Um, when things inevitably come up, if they have or if they haven't, maybe in the future, do you guys have any sort of systematic checks in place? Like, have you you continue to go to a church or meet with your pastor or anything internally or as a couple to try to like the way we would maintain a car? You know, how do you right. maintain the relationship? Um, it's a good question and and one that I don't you know probably have down pat. And I'm open to ideas. I mean. Look, we're in a season now where we have three children, 12, 10, 7. Do you have children? Not yet. Okay, well, we, we, you know parents out there know you have children. That's a season. They need you. You have responsibilities to them. They have, if they, if, you know, baby's crying, you got to stop whatever because they need you. They cannot help themselves. And so we have to watch, and Camilla's very good at, at reminding me, you know, hey, we got to make sure we're getting our time because I got a busy life. She's got a busy life. We got three children. We got my mom living with us who's 88 years old. So in some ways we have four children and you know, you go look up and you go, well, the last couple of days, we kind of said hi for the first time at 9:30 PM. Uh, you know, and you go, okay, yeah, we got to, we got to check in or make sure we have some time off um, in the right way and tell the kids, Hey, do not do this. Don't come knock on the door if you just want to. You have to need to. It has to be an emergency. Or we'll go away or grab a hotel room or go eat and, um, you know, get, get our own time. Um, so, I mean, those are some ways that we, we try to maintain it and keep the maintenance up on it. Um, we've gone over our sort of our vows before informally. Um, you know, marriage for me, it's like, if, if her and I hit a bump in the road, you know, it's the first time, the first relationship I've ever had where I'm not like, uh-oh, beginning of the end. You know what I mean? Uh-oh. You know, and the, the spider senses, the alarms don't go off. The fight or flight alarms, you go, no, we're in this. This takes work. This is more work and it's good work and be committed to it. Don't, yes. this is not the one you, you know, you, you don't call quit when, when, it, you know, when it starts to get a little off. You try to recalibrate. You know, talk about what was it that who we were when it was the first time on our honeymoon. 
but understand that we are essentially those same people, but we have evolved. And have we evolved in different ways that are still in the lane of who we essentially fell in love with earlier? Trying to make sure that they, you know, our changes and evolutions personally stay in the lane of why we initially loved each other in the first place. Yeah, well said. Thank you for sharing that. So let's go back in time. You're younger. Think, talk about your career, success a little bit. Your father obviously had this huge impact on you, but it sounds like your whole family did. And I have right here, which is normally on my wall. I took it down for this interview, your 10 goals ah. in life, okay. <laughs> which is in your book. And one of them is number eight, win an Oscar for best actor. Yeah. Now you were relatively young, relatively inexperienced actor at the time. I had three weeks, <laughs> three weeks after finishing my first role and days confused. I wrote that down. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I want to talk about that, but before even that, can you remember at the youngest age possible where film and acting was something of interest to you? And if so, what from your father, your childhood, anything identified that? Right about the time, right then, it, no, not really any sooner than at that time when I think I'm 21, 22 years old. It was never even in the vernacular of possible pursuits in life. It wasn't something I even did as a hobby growing up. We weren't a media family. You weren't allowed to watch TV. Um, we, they weren't, we weren't a well-read family. We were like told to, you know, if it's sunshine, you get out there and you go, you go do it. My mom would say this on the TV. She'd, like, they, she'd go over and just turn it off and go, you're not going to sit here and watch somebody do something that you can just go out and do yourself. So in looking back, I go, geez, she was kind of preparing me to be an actor. <laughs> you know, go do it. Yeah. Say, hey, do it. Um, but it was never even in, in my thoughts. And also, by the way, I was raised in a very blue collar family. If you get a job, you work your way up the company ladder. It was just too much of an avant-garde, wild ass radical European idea to say, oh, I'm gonna pursue the arts as what? As a, as a, yeah, maybe on Saturday afternoon, but not Monday through Friday was, you know, the sensibility that I was raised with. Um, so it was right around that time in college when I said, I want to go to film school. That was me actually saying, I want to be in the storytelling business. And then looking back at my diaries, that's sort of me saying, well, I really want to be in front of the camera too, but I wasn't brave enough to admit that or even have that in the vernacular of my dreams. I've never had a dream about it. Okay, because even that, I would, trust me, if I had dreamed of being an actor one day, I would have had, it's one of those dreams where I would have woke up going, whoa, no, 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 that's not real. That's not happening. Don't have that dream. I didn't even dream about it. But then I finally, you know, I write something like that down. Three weeks after I just finished my first job in the summer of 1992 in a film called Days Confused, which I loved it. I was getting paid 320 bucks a day. I'm having a great time doing it. People are telling me I'm good at it asking me to come back the next night and work again. I'm like going, is this legal? This is too much fun. And, but I evidently, cause I never, I never looked at that note, that, that 10 goals. I never looked at it again. I forgot I wrote it down. And that particular one is like, when I called the shot, talk about writing a headline and then actually specifically getting it done. I looked at that one. I was like, what? You wrote that down that you wanted to win an Oscars back to actor. So inherently, I guess I knew I wanted to be a serious, good actor before I even admitted it, so to speak. Yeah. 
do you feel like maybe you went out there, you got your first shot and you felt, oh, wow, I, I can do this. I feel more confident now. And it gave you the power to write a more bold goal like that. Or did it just come from your heart and there's no real thought process to it? There was no real thought. I mean, look, I, I think I must have been conscious that I had just been able to do and perform and play a character for the first time in a real film and that I had a natural ability for it and that my instincts of how to go about looking at a scene or how to be my man, as I call it, were on point. And those instincts that I had then, I still utilize today. I have many other tools with which I go about to approach the craft of acting that I didn't have then, but instinctually my instincts were right to ask myself in each scene, who's my man? What would I do? What would I say? I still ask myself those same questions today. Where I got that from, I don't know. I'd never taken an acting class, but that's what I was asking myself back there in 92 on Dazed. So I felt like I had a natural ability for it. As I said, people who had done it for years and done well at it were patting me on the back going, damn, you're good at this. I'm going, cool, great, because it sure is fun. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I wrote it down. It was only that one film. And, and look, to be honest, I didn't know if that was going to be a one-off hobby that I did in the summer of 92 or that much less it would turn out to be a career I loved 28 years later, 29 years later. I didn't know, but I wanted to pursue it. Yeah, amazing. So let's talk a little bit more about, you mentioned the blue-collar background of your father and the idea of acting being avant-garde mm -hmm. when tell if you're okay tell it with it tell a story please of that conversation you had with your father yeah. around when you told him and then i'm curious why you think he gave you the blessing he did yep i've thought about it so this is the end of my sophomore year um the year before i worked in days confused wait in my sophomore year june yeah days confused was after my junior this is the end of my sophomore year i am heading towards law school that's all i was going to do since i was 12 years old i'm going to go be a lawyer hopefully a defense attorney that's what i'm going to do well you get to the end of your sophomore year and you're taking your liberal arts credits and they can kind of be applied anywhere well after the sophomore year you better kind of funnel them because if you change your course correction you may lose some credits and i was like mm, if i'm gonna make a decision to change i better do it now and i was not sleeping well with the idea of becoming a lawyer I, in my head i was like wait a minute I got to finish school here. Then I got to go to law school. Then I got to get out and I try to get a job 28, 29, 30. Geez, you may not be making your mark till you're in your 30s. And I was like, I wasn't really keen on the idea of spending my 20s learning before I got to experiment and do something. And I'd been writing a lot at that time. I shared some short stories with my friend Rob Bindler, who's at NYU film school. He goes, man, these are pretty good. These are worth sharing. He's also the one that said, you ever thought about getting in front of the camera? You're a good looking guy, you got good character, you could do that. And even I remember that conversation. I'm like, ah, oh, no, no, no. Couldn't even grasp that with my best friend who suggested it to me. So, but it did give me the courage to say, all right, I think I need to make a change. Now, when am I gonna make that decision? Well, I better make it pretty quick because it's at the end of my sophomore year. Now, I go to take a, uh, to my paternity house to take my final psychology exam at the end of my sophomore year. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a study bug, Brendan. I will study up to the last 30 seconds. If you give me days, I'll keep preparing. For whatever reason, this day, sitting in one of my fraternity brother's little apartment, 
I'm sitting on the couch and I pull out my books. I got three hours before the test. I start looking at them. For the first time in my life, I go, man, you got this. Shut them, put them down. I'm sitting there, it's remote control. I put on TV. I love sports. I'll watch the strongest man competition. And this particular day, there was a great baseball game on and my team was playing. I had even more incentive to watch. Whatever reason, I'm bored with it. And I'm like, click it off. I now look over to my left, there's a stack of magazines, Sports Illustrated, Playboys, two other things. I'm like, well, I'm interested in that. For whatever reason, I just flip through the pages. And I'm like, nah. Well, as I keep digging deeper in the stack, I come across this little white paperback book and beautiful red cursive on it. It says the greatest salesman in the world. And I remember saying out loud to myself, who is that? I pick up the book, I start reading it. It has this chapter that leads, story that leads you to the first chapter. Well, I read, forgot about time, got to the first scroll. And the idea in this book is you will read each scroll three times a day for 30 days before you move on to the next scroll. And there's 10 scrolls, meaning it's a 10 month read. Well, something in that, that that book found me through all those other reasons I would have not gotten that book, it found me. And the fact that it wasn't given to me by a teacher, the fact that it wasn't handed to me by a friend that goes, you ought to read this, this is great. It was mine, it found me. It felt like divine intervention. And I remember shutting it going, I can't wait to go on this adventure. I go wake up my buddy whose book it is. I say, can I borrow this? And he wakes up to his sleep. He goes, no, you can't borrow it. You can have it. My dad gave it to me, told me to give it to somebody else who needs it later in life. Took the book. I ran to my test, which was in 10 minutes. Got in there, ripped through that test. Didn't care if I made an F. I was like, my course path is changing. So I ripped through that thing. And that night, I said, all right, tonight's when I got to call dad to say I want to go to film school. And I did not think this call was going to go well. I thought he was going to go, you want to what? Ba -ba 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 -ba. Well, I pick out the right time, 7.30 at night. He'll be home from work, sitting there having a beer with mom on the couch, talking about the day, he'll be in a good mood. Maybe that's the best time to get it. Pick up the phone. Hey, Pop. Hey, little buddy, what's up? Listen, Pop, I've been thinking, and uh, I don't want to go to law school anymore. I want to go to film school. There's a pause on the other line. Then I hear, okay, well, are you, you sure that's what you want to do? Yes, sir. Another pause on the phone. Got a bead of sweat going down the back of my neck waiting for this response. <laughs> oh, yeah. This response was awesome. He says, well, don't half-ass it. And I lit up, man. I lit up. He not only said yes... Not only gave me approval, validation, he gave me a kick in the backside, incentive, some rocket fuel, responsibility, accountability, go get it. Now, what happened in that call, which is a great question, and I think this is a larger question that we could even unpack in our lives as parents and as just even societies. There's a, my father in that phone call, by the way I said on the other end of the phone line, I don't want to go to law school, I want to go to film school. He heard my conviction. I didn't stutter. I didn't whisper. I didn't go, you know, I, I, I think I really wasn't asking his permission, even though I was respectfully asking him because he was paying for my school. He heard that in my voice. And then he double checked me one time. You sure that's what you want to do? I immediately, right at the end said, yes, sir. I didn't leave a pause. I didn't go, well, I mean, I think, yes, sir. He heard the clarity for me. And in that 10 second dialogue, he heard what I think every parent wants to hear from their kid. I'm not asking permission, Dad. 
I'm going my own way. And in that moment, that's why he said, well, don't half-ass it. And that was a big rite of passage that I had with him. I just got tingles telling about it, that we raise our kids in certain structures, even countries and governments and laws. We raise people to, hey, follow the rules, stay in the line. But we're most happy when our children actually break out of it in a true way for them and say, I'm not asking permission, but I just want to let you know, I'm going my own way. And if you come out of bluffing, if you stutter, if you come out there and go, uh, boom, you're snapped right back into the structure and the structure tells you, the father figure tells you, no, 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 you weren't ready. Don't come back and go tell me you're going to go your own way until you only come back when you're not asking my permission. You know what I mean? Come so back when you're telling me. That's what you're saying. <laughs> that I could hear the way my dad heard me say it is uh, he in uh, 10 seconds, he was like, without saying it, he was saying, that's my boy. That's my boy. There we go. Don't half-ass it. Love that. Cool. Everything that he did, whether he sat down and laid stuff out for you or maybe more modeled it by who he was, what is the biggest lesson that you got from him as a father? Boy, I mean, he had a, he had a bunch. I want to tell you. Uh, Doesn't have to be one. Well, but let me just tell you one that's a great little story. Yeah. Well, two. I write in the book about my, you know, my first four butt whoopings, you know, and three of them were from him. And that was for saying, I can't for saying I hate you to my brother and for lying to him. So let me go into the can't and the lie. Yep. I remember my chores on Saturday morning were to mow the lawn, we did. And I was out there trying to get the lawnmower cranked. It had gas, it had oil, but it was not cranking. I couldn't get it, I couldn't get it cranked. Try to try to try it. I go inside, it's early Saturday morning. I said, Pop, I, I can't get the lawnmower started. And I saw his molars meet. And I knew right then, oh yeah, that's the word we're not supposed to say. And he just kind of looked at me, slowly got up, walked with me, without saying a word, out of the bedroom, through the kitchen, through the garage, around the backside of the house to where the shed was, where the lawnmower was. Tried to crank it a few times, it did not crank. He got down, looked at it, saw a gas hose was going to unplug, reached it back, pumped the fuel, cranked the lawnmower. And with the lawnmower running right next to us, he then came over to me and kind of looked down right in my face. And he goes, you see, you were just having trouble. And I went, yes, sir. And there was a great lesson in that. Even if we are unable to do something ourselves, we can go seek help. We can, we can get somebody to help us out. And that's what I got in that. So don't say can't. We still do that in our household. Uh, we don't use that word. Um, secondly, let me get to the, uh, the lion part. Yeah. Tell a story in there where I went out and I stole a pizza with a buddy. And story to all children out there, if you've done something wrong and you get home and your parent is on the phone when you knew they really would be asleep otherwise, and their first question is, did you pay for that pizza? <laughs> and you haven't even told them you went out for pizza, but their lead in question is already, did you pay for that pizza? It means they know you didn't, okay? <laughs> but, my 18-year-old self decides I'm going to try and squirm out of this thing for a second. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, yes, sir. Of course. I mean, I think we, you know, I'm going to ask you again, son. Did you pay for that pizza? Well, I mean, I mean, dad, he gave me four chances to tell him 
Yes, I stole the pizza. The fourth time he said, I, I tried to weasel out of it again. He backhanded me. The backhand did not hurt at all. But I went to the floor. Not because of the backhand, because of my lactic acid coward ass legs I was standing on because I was so, I knew I had dug a hole and worm. And I'm so being such a wormy little, uh, such a coward. And I saw his heart, his heart was broken. And what it was all about, if I'd have told him, no, I didn't, I didn't, we didn't pay for the pizza, dad. We stole it. He'd have been like, gosh, damn you, son. What, are you not making enough money with your chores and stuff for, to pay for the damn pizza? Whatever it is, gosh, hey, you know the rules, man. You got caught. And you know what? I've stolen a bunch of pizzas. Damn it, if you're going to steal another pizza, you better get better at stealing the damn thing. But you got caught. And any, I don't know. What, what do you think we should do? That would have been the conversation. But it would have been right. like, I manned up on it. I manned up on it. Right. I didn't that night. And that broke his heart. And that was a version of of my dad's right to passage of you better be man enough to be prepared to go out in the world. You've got to admit your mistakes or when you're caught, don't lie to me. Don't wheeze. You're not going to make it in life weaseling out of things. You're not going to make it in life skating out of things. No, damn it, man up. You screwed up. You got caught. You got busted. Deal with the consequences. That's what broke his heart. So that lesson as again, I'm living the, trying to live these out with raising my own children. I don't choose to um, physically punish and discipline our kids the way my father did us, but I sure as hell don't judge him for how he did it. Yep. Um, there were plenty of things that I did not do as a kid that I should not have done for fear of the consequences from my father. So there was some healthy fear. Yep. Now, try to tell our kids, hey, let us know. You did you go this place on this site online? We don't tell them we can find out, which we can, but come tell us. If you come tell us, oh, I screwed up. I'm the one who broke that in the other room and didn't say anything about it. You're going to get in a lot less trouble than if you lie about it. Plus, if you lie about it, we talked about how hard it is to keep a lie going. It's, it gets really, it's a compounding deficit in your future to have to keep up with, and it causes stress, and you got to look over your shoulder and Wait, what was the story I told? And then and it's, it's, it doesn't have a good ending, you know? So we try to incorporate that into our kids as well. But I would say those two are too real. And man, man, don't don't lie. And again, I talk about it. There's a difference between a liar and a bullshitter. I could be, you know, if, I'm, if you and I just went through something, we're telling someone a story. In the middle of me telling that story, I can look over at you. You can see the glint in my eye where you're going like, oh, yeah, man. The, the last story of the fish was only 10 pounds. Now it's 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And the person you're telling the story to is wanting to go like, maybe it was 14 pounds. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of get it going. And you're all in on it. Yeah. A liar doesn't let you know he's bullshitting. So my dad was in for all for good bullshit, but he would not accept the lying part. So that and can't and not, not saying I can't or believing you can't do something were two great lessons that he instilled in us. Yeah, very powerful stuff. So in your life thus far, you have, had, you have a number of accolades, a number of achievements, a number of successes and fulfillments. Out of everything you've done to date, what do you think your father's looking down on you now? He says, that's the thing I'm most proud of in Matthew. Uh, my family. Relationship with, with, with my wife, Camilla, who, oh, he would have loved rubbing her feet. 
He was a great foot masseuse. <laughs> this guy, our girlfriends in, I mean, this guy in high school, we'd have it, you know, date comes over to the house at seven o'clock. We're going to then go out at seven and, you know, at seven o'clock and still downstairs, psh, psh, putting on a little, you know, making sure the shirt's pressed right. And you come up at seven Oh five. Let's go. Where's Sherry? Where's Natalie? Whoever over there on the couch, pops rubbing their feet. And they're like going, we're, we're, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere right now. We'll leave in 30 minutes. <laughs> and then our girlfriends would come over, started coming over. We're going to leave at seven. They start coming over at six 30. <laughs> 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 get the foot rub from pop to me uh, oh it was great so the, the family that i have um my wife and and my, and my children he would have loved the grandkids i must say this he would have also loved he loved working on scripts and character with me i really often miss i i, I go to i go to i get a script and i go to think oh i'm gonna give this to pop not here to read it he would have loved reading and going giving his opinion uh saying hey i know an old boy who did something like this da, 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 da. you want to go and talk to him yeah let me talk to him let's get him on the phone da, 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 da. he would have loved that because he loved characters in life and he was around a bunch but mainly i think he would really he's up there now going i like those boys i like livingston i like levi ah that dog on vita Boy, she's she's a bright light. Good job, man. You know, he'd have been the one going, Hey, your mom and dad said you can't have another piece of lemon meringue pie. But I'm your grandpa. And I'm saying you can have the whole damn thing right now. What do you think about that? You know, he was he was that kind of and then and then would have loved to get into like, you know, later on in the night. We go, well, who ate the lemon meringue pie? And he'd love looking over at the kids going, oh, I don't know. Maybe it was the dog. You know, he, he, he'd, have, he'd have got stories going and they'd have had inside things and they'd have got their own bullshit going and stories that would have been their secrets, you know? Um, he was a hand, man. He was a great host and a, and a, and a, and a bear of a man, but, a, but a, really a soft heart for the underdog as well. Yeah, that's amazing. So one of the things that really stands out to me about you from the book and your life is the integrity and discipline you had to say, if I can't do dramatic acting, I'm not acting. Yeah. Where did that come from? Was that all part of the plan? I mean, it was on some level, but talk about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So it's a time in my life where I'm the go-to rom-com guy in Hollywood. I'm getting paid very handsomely for them. They're all the all the rom-coms I did made the studios good money. I liked doing them. They were easy. They were paying the rent for the houses on the beach that I was running shirtless on. And, but at the same time, their success sort of pigeon, I'm pigeon, there's a better word for it, but I'm gonna use pigeon old now. Me into being that, that was really the only thing that I was uh, people would come to me for studios would come to me for that's the only thing audiences would go to me to the theater for me for as well so if I wanted to do a drama uh, I would have to get a huge pay cut but the couple dramas that I did interspersed between those romantic comedies didn't do anything in the box office so all of a sudden it's like well McConaughey's not a bankable actor in a drama and so the dramas I wanted to do no matter I'll suddenly no matter how much of a pay cut I wanted to take or would take they were like no we're not we're not making it with you and McConaughey in the lead he's our he's the rom-com guy 
he's shirtless guy on the beach. Well, when I noticed that I was not being offered or didn't even have the ability to do the work I wanted to do in these dramatic roles, I said, well, if I can't do what I don't, what I want to do, then I'm just going to stop doing what I've been doing. And that was not a decision that came up with overnight. I felt that was the right decision, but I knew that had major consequences to it. I was like, well, and I remember my wife going, Camilla going, well, if you're not going to do rom-coms, you may not work in Hollywood for a long, long time. And I know how you are, Matthew. If you're going to do this, to use your dad's words, you're not going to half-ass it. If you're going to do this, you're going to have to commit to this. So I called my money manager. How have I invested my money? I may not have work or income for a while. He says, you've invested well. I call my agent. Uh, tell him I don't do rom-coms. He says, fine. Uh, I got your back. Uh, and I shed many a tear on Camilla's shoulder going, "Is it in my, my, trust me, my blood family, my mom and my brothers were like, what? What are you, what's wrong with you, boy? What are you talking about, man? Those- <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Can you just talk on that phone call with your agent? Uh, I work for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I love that. Great. I love that. Jim Toth is his name. Yeah. Jim. Not doing any more rom-coms, man. No more. Uh, okay, sir. And I said, uh, okay, sir. Wait a minute. You, you, what do you mean? Okay, sir. I said, what you gonna, I, I said, you say that so quickly. I said, I've been making rom-coms and I know off you get 10% commission comes into your agency. I've been putting some cash in y'all's pockets, some real cash with these rom-coms. When you go in your Monday morning meeting with your bosses and you say, McConaughey's not doing rom-coms anymore, I guarantee you, you and I both know they are not going to say, okay, they're going to go, what? And he goes, I don't work for them. I work for you. Mitch. So he was my gatekeeper and and uh, offers come through him. I decided to do it. I said, I'm not gonna do them. I moved down to Texas. For the first six months, nothing but rom-coms come in, offers. And when I would say no, the offer would go up. One particular offer came in at 8 million. I said, no, they came back at 10 million. And I, I gotta tell you this story. So I would read some of these things. Right? Well, wasn't there one where they were like, just read the script type thing? Just read this and damn it, was it was a good one. It was a good one. It was it was it was original, but it was still a rom comedy action adventure thing that would have filled that same place that I had filled before, but not the place I wanted to go. So I read it. Eight million dollar offer. Great offer, great script. I'm like, no. Comes back. Ten million dollar offer. No, no, thank you. I I said no. Twelve point five million dollar offer. Ooh. Um, no, $14.5 million offer. I said, um, let me read it again. (laughs) (laughs) I read that thing again and trust me, it was a better script at 14.5. It was funnier. It had more angles that I felt like, Ooh, this, Ooh, this could work for me. It was the exact <laughs> same words as the original $8 million offer. But at that number, it was a better written script. Oh, for sure. But I even then said, no. Well, I do believe that that me saying no to that mammoth offer. And that was about six months into my sort of hiatus. I do believe that that sent a little bit of a lightning rod through Hollywood where Hollywood goes, oh, 
McConaughey's not bluffing. He's seriously not doing romantic comedies. Okay. So now from that day on, nothing comes in. No offers. No rom-coms quit coming in and nothing else. 14 months go by. Nothing. I'm forgotten in Hollywood. I'm talking to my agent, Jim, every week, and he's going, buddy, I'll be honest with you, no one's even mentioning your name. I haven't heard your name mentioned in months. Okay, 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 okay. What am I going to do here? Man, maybe I need to, I mean, I'm going to have to work. I got. Maybe I need to find another job, another vocation. High school football coach, wildlife expedition guide, orchestral conductor. Heck, man, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not going back. There was no question in my mind. I was in deep enough where I was like, no way am I going back now. Yeah. And I did have that little hunch. You know, when you go through sacrifices, the longer it goes, it kind of goes from pain to pride. Mm -hmm. And you get that little feel in your pocket, like going, oh, I'm in way deep now, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, there, there's actually may really be something cool on the other side of this whenever I get to the other side. Uh, but I don't know when that's coming. Right. But a total of 20 months went by. And then all of a sudden, after being not in a rom-com, not in the theater in front of you in a rom-com, not in your living room in front of a rom-com, not in a picture shirtless on the beach, where is McConaughey? Where has he been? I don't know. And in the, I don't know where he's been, all of a sudden, 20 months later, I became, well, you know who an interesting novel idea for this drama would be? Matthew McConaughey. And all of a sudden, here they came, Lincoln Lawyer, Killer Joe, Paperboy, Magic Mike, Mud, Bernie, True Detective, Dallas Buyers Club. And I just went, I just ate them up. And I unbranded to then rebrand. Um, so yeah, it was a power of saying no, um, that I didn't know if it was a one-way ticket, man. And it was when I purchased it, just a one-way ticket to limbo. And as you know, man, no, knowing a clear no and knowing a clear yes can be much easier than sitting in limbo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> limbo. But all I knew, I didn't know where I was going to go, but all I knew I wasn't going to go back, back and do what I had done. Someone once said to me, the quality of your life can be in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty that you can comfortably tolerate. Ah. And so how did you and how can the listeners build the muscle of being comfortable with the discomfort, which I believe would be sort of the opposite of a green light? How do I handle the non-green lights? How did you handle that time and allow yourself to get through it? And what can well, other people do? And, and, and to precept this answer, let's, I think a point of that story is that, yeah, we get a lot of yellow and red lights in our life that are from the outside world. But we also sometimes, which leads into this question, need to create them for ourselves. Like yeah. that was when I self create, I created an extended yellow light that I didn't know if it was actually red, but it was actually yellow. Well, even times I thought it was red, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which eventually turned green when those new dramatic offers came my way. Um, one is this, I, one is dealing with looking the, uncertainty in the eye admitting like i love to be in the know but i always say this i also want to know what i don't know so yes i want to be in the know so i want to be certain but i also want to be certain of my uncertainty so 
the late great Penny Allen, one of my uh, mentors and acting coach I worked for 19 years. It was a character I was working on who was the baddie. He was the baddie. I think it was playing the devil, I think. And uh, uh, she said this line that I've taken on and applied, and it'll apply to this. Once you know it's black, it ain't near as dark. Part of it is looking the uncertainty in the eye and going, oh, it's bleak. And if you admit to like, dude, this could go on forever. Meaning if you're in a position now in COVID to go, this may go on for five more years. You, on an instinctual survival level, mentally and spiritually, you start to awaken and go, okay, we better get our armor on for the long war. This is going to be a long battle. And you start to conserve energy each day because you mentally and spiritually and cellularly, I believe, understand, oh, huh, this is a pilgrimage and this is a marathon. And usually what happens when we looked at in the eye and we conserve energy and we don't have that anticipation fatigue that when we, you know, the anticipation, anticipation fatigue, when you think like, oh, maybe tomorrow it's over. Oh, maybe tomorrow it's over. And it's not. Maybe tomorrow it's over. And it's not. That peak and valley, peak and valley, you waste about 30% of your energy, right? Because so if you can actually project that uncertainty may last longer than it, than the, further beyond the goal line, if you can project as far out as possible, when they do tap you on the shoulder and say, okay, you can re-engage your back, you get what you want, or they do call and say, now we're offering you a dramatic role, you're like, oh, really? Oh, I, I could have held out another year. You know, it, it, and, and, and you, it's putting the head down in the process of looking that blackness, bleakness in the eye and going, oh, once I see how dark it is, a bleak, it's actually not near as dark. So once we look uncertainty in the eye and go, it's a real thing. So I'm not going to chomp at the bit looking for certainty at every single moment. I'm going to back up and go, I'm going to get a little bit wider view here and go, uh-huh, the uncertainty is real. Okay. Let's take our time here day by day. Now, what did I have at that time to help keep me a little bit grounded? Because trust me, I said, I went through, you know, having a pour, pouring a drink a little earlier in the day, I, I started to do, you know what I mean? And then caught myself when it got to be around four o'clock going, no, 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 that's a little too early. Hang on. Um, but I had a newborn son, which was a great anchor for me. That was a an inevitable place where I was like, look, no matter how confused or uncertain you are, if you put time and energy into your newborn son who's seeing the world for the first time every single day, you can't go wrong. You can, that will never, ever be the wrong place to go. So that's always going to be an asset. Just trust that in all the uncertainty, we look for those things. Well, what can I rely on that when I'm lost, if I just go, okay, if I go to that, I know I'm at least not going in the debit section. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going backwards. Um, so I had that. I also had uh, a family crisis, a major family crisis come up that I was called to arms to go handle. Well, I write about it in the book, the birth of a child, a family crisis trying to stop the bleeding in another circumstance. Those things sober you up. They are, they are, they are all, they're inevitably more important than the fact that, oh my gosh, I'm not getting the work I want to do. Uh, they, they, they give you some certainty and can help give you some sanity. I did it in that Australian year. You know, remember I'm lost and lonely in Australia for a year. So I decide I'm going to run six miles a day, become a vegetarian, become celibate and think I'm going to become a monk. Well, 
I didn't end up doing any four of those for the rest of my life, but I needed those sort of uh, demarcations in my day to give me some identity in all of my uncertainty, just to achieve them. Something to go to bed at night and go, check, did that. Check, did that. Check, did that. And check, did that. Okay, did those four things. Okay, at least that I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how do we deal with it? One of it's look it in the eye. And if you look in the eye, the uncertainty in the eye, it's not, it, it, it in a way becomes a little more certain in your certainty of that it is uncertain. Um, instead of fighting against it and denying it uncertainty. Um, two is, I would say, go to the things that you know you can rely on. And, and I mean, look around. Uh, what can I rely on if I spend my time on? I know that's a good utilization of my time time. I know that's something I should nurture. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our loved one. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a, a friend. Maybe it is our dog, our pets. Go pick out the things that you go. If I, if I spend time with that, I know that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and because you do in the uncertainty, you have to go on. I find you have to go on some sort of autopilot. I've had times where I was doing so much press that I, I couldn't, I didn't tell the, couldn't tell the difference between the last interview and the next interview. And I was just like, dude, just be a gentleman and don't lie. If you just do that, just do you're not going to say something stupid. Mind you, I gave some boring interviews based on just be a gentleman and don't lie. But I didn't say something stupid that I would really regret either. You know, so I was, yeah. I was treading water. And you have to tread water sometimes in uncertainty. Now, if you get fortunate enough to see through the uncertainty, you can then all of a sudden see new opportunities in, in an uncertainty because you go, it's not just me that's uncertain right now. There's a whole lot of people that are uncertain. So in this disruption, there's actually an opportunity here. Damn, I don't know what it is. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. But can I project a little further with the hope and the knowing that the uncertainty will one day leave, be gone? And when it does and, 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 and the water line resets itself again, can I be set up for something that maybe the world will need? Can I give, can I supply something that they may demand that the world may demand in a business sense? Um, or can I have myself perched up for opportunity when this is over? It's, it's very hard to see past the uncertainty into those times when it's a blur of when the go, where the goal line is. But those are some, those are some things that I think are, are, are good ideas to do in an uncertainty. Those are great ideas. The one that really sticks out to me is latching on to things where you can grab some certainty. Like you said, that's, I think, brilliant. So, yeah. And maybe double down on those. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because in uncertainty, the days get long. You know what I mean? In uncertainty, you're like, geez, is it lunchtime yet? And it's like 10, 10 in the morning. You're like, Jesus, man. <laughs> I got to slow down. What am I doing? Is it sundown yet? No, three o'clock. Damn it. <laughs> Matthew, I want to ask you about composure. And if maybe this wasn't an issue in your whole career, but I would imagine, you know, I think about your famous Oscar speech for best actor and how unbelievably moving that was. But that whole day and night, am I going to win this thing? Okay, I win it. I'm on stage. The whole world's watching me. And maybe it wasn't in that instance, but in some of your biggest roles, or maybe when you were getting started as an actor, how have you maintained composure in these massively high pressure situations? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, sometimes the inverse of dealing with the uncertainty 
once you know it's black, it's not near as dark. Well, once you know it's bright, it's even more light, so to speak. Meaning, I've been in situations where I'm like, oh my gosh, do I, do I deserve this? This is so awesome. And I've gone through times in my life where I had a real non-deserving complex and, and had false humility because I didn't know how to say thank you or realize that, hey, I had, I had a lot to do with this gift that I'm being given. And then how to do that. I've had other times where I had times of arrogance, where I didn't give enough credit to all the other things besides me that were why I was being given what I was given. Now, I think the balance in that for me has been when I go, okay, you're being granted a great gift right now. The proverbial trophy, the blue ribbon, the gold medal, this awesome thing. And I don't know about deserve. That's kind of a goofy word, but damn it, you earned it. You earned it. Did you get fortunate along the way? Yeah, and you know what? Some people helped you out along the way, but but hey, don't lose the subjective here. You're here for a reason, and this is happening. And boy, if you're thinking that your 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 head's on the ceiling of like, oh, I couldn't get any better. Well, you're being a fool because that ceiling is a man-made thing. That ceiling is a mortal sort of resistance that we level that we put on ourselves. So I try to go, hey man, this is great. I fully let's fully respect this gift, but this ain't the end all, all be all. This is this is this ain't divinity. <laughs> this is incredibly cool. Maybe a genius work of mankind, or mankind says da. But this is not the. You didn't make it. We're not here. This isn't the Tada moment. And all of a sudden, that ceiling gets raised, and you look up. And I, I love using the the Icarus, uh, um, the Icarus analogy. You know, flying too close to the sun. Oh, the sun's going to melt our wax and our wings. Watch how fly how you fly. Well, I think more times or not, we fail to give ourselves credit for actually how much room, how much higher the ceiling actually is. And we get up there in those times of success. I write about it in the chapter of the art of running downhill. We get up in times of success. We start to go, we get conscious of what we're doing and we step out of process. We hop into the third person and we objectify ourselves and go, wow, you're doing so good. You can't do better. Don't get nervous. It's like a kid doesn't, he's not, not, not afraid of heights until they fall out of the tree. Well, we usually we're flying up there. And we think, I think I'm getting cl too close to the sun and God's going, Man, it's still 66 degrees. <laughs> Your wax ain't even close to melting. Who the hell you think you are? <laughs> you know, so that opens up the roof to let me respect a great moment, to keep composure, but to go, this is not like it. And everyone else out there in that audience, for instance, on a night like that, they're here for a special reason too. And you're one person part in the link of this. And yes, they're pointing you out to say we deemed your work the most excellent this last year. And yes, that means my craftsmanship translated. And that's what I wanted to do. And what I intended to do is what got received. And they're letting me know that. But how'd you get here? I'll tell you how I've gotten there most of the times when I didn't give a damn about the result. When I had my head down, like I was saying earlier, going through uncertain times, and they came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we want to give you a trophy for what you've been doing. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm in the middle of it. And they're like, no, the best work I've done on set 
when I'm acting is when the last day of shooting, they say, that's a wrap. And I'm like telling everyone, I'll see you tomorrow. And they go, no, that's a film wrap. There is no more shooting. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, okay. The best rounds of golf people play are when they're walking off the 18th green thinking they're going to the next tee box. You're going like, no, the round's done, dude. You finished it. You shot 68, you know? Yeah. So staying in the process is also a way of dealing with keeping composed. Um, and, and not, you know, it's very important, I think, to be aware and to jump into that objective third person jumbotron and see ourselves in our life, but not to live by that. And that's a real challenge that we have today when the world is such a mirror in more ways than it's ever been for us. Yeah. It's good for awareness, but don't live by that because you won't, you'll miss the moment. You'll miss being in the process, subjective first person doing of the deed. Yep. <clears throat> well said. What is next for you? If, if you're not too close to the sun now, yeah. what would be getting closer to the sun for you in the next, say, decade? Um, continue to do my best with my wife to raise autonomous, conscientious, and confident young men and women called our children that will be ready to head out into the world and negotiate their way through it. Hopefully doing something that they have an innate ability to do and they're willing to put in the hustle and the work and education to do great and be great at. Maybe after that happens, maybe becoming best friends with them would be cool. On a personal occupation level, I want to step into, I'm feeling myself, I want to be in, a, in, in, in the right leadership role and what, the place where I'm most useful, where whatever my innate abilities that I'm willing to work at can apply to the most amount of people. And they can go, yes, you know, uh, I, I, for instance, on a, on a, on a, on a you know, an a immediate level, the, the people, the, the way hearing how the book affects people is like, okay, there we go, translated. And, and it wasn't mine. They weren't objectively just looking at my story and going, hey, I really like the story. They actually said, no, I see this in my life and I'm going to apply this to my life. I'm like, oh, Ooh, now that's a cool epidemic when we don't want a vaccine for, you know, that's the epidemic that, that if you're not shaving until the, till the vaccine comes, I hope you turn into rubble still skin on, you know, <laughs> the, the one where the people start to ask themselves again, what is it they value and to, you know, to, to aspire, uh, um, to be a little bit better each day. And that, that's where the collective change will come from, from each one of us looking in the mirror saying, I'm gonna be a little bit better. Uh, I'm gonna be a little bit more fair. I'm gonna be a little bit more, more responsible. I'm gonna quit looking at responsibility and freedom, wants and needs, selfish and selfless as contradictions. I'm gonna start seeing how those are not contradictions. There's a place where we can make decisions that are best for ourselves right now and the best for the most amount of people at the same time. There's a place where we can be responsible to actually create real freedom. There's freedom in that responsibility. There's delayed gratification. Sometimes it's sacrifice. Sometimes it's eat your cake right now. Damn right, have two pieces. Go for it. That art in there where what is it we want? Is it also what I need? Well, what do I need? Ooh, can I get a place where I actually really want what it is I need? Boy, when those two are simpatico, that's what I call the honey hole. Though That's the place where we're going, that's where the real coolest dudes and dudettes and ladies and gentlemen in the history of time. That's where they were coming from or found. And I haven't found that, but I want to keep chasing that. Um, and so what is it, what, if that's 
constructive, if that's useful, if that's healthy, if that's the kind of thing that is a good demic to spread. Well, I, 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 I would be interested in being in that leadership role where I'm most useful to, to help supply and inspire that. Because I do believe that, you know, uh, um, yeah, we need leaders. We need them for vision, we need them for guidance. But at the same time, again, what we see is a contradiction often, but it's not at the same time, we have to be self-determining, self-reliant individuals and go, no, I got this. My hands are on the wheel. Um, our leaders can help put positions to give us the equal opportunity that we can work on to have our hands on the wheel and to possibly succeed at something that we have an innate ability for and we're willing to hustle for. We can do more work on that. But, you know, so often we, we get the leader we want in the proverbial office and they, what they said got us to the front porch, leaning over, ready to charge. But as soon as they get in the spot, we go, ah, oh, now I can relax. And we go sit back in our recliner. No, we can't sit back in the recliner. <laughs> can't do it. Now's the time to get off the porch. Yeah. You know, so that's the general direction that I'm keeping my eyes and awareness open and trying to challenge myself right now and listen and learn and put myself to task for it to activate. That's very powerful and beautiful. My last question for you, what was the genesis of this? And for those who are on audio only, I'm holding up green lights. What was the genesis for the book? Like, why did I go write it or? Why'd you write it? Did you always want to write a book? Where did this come from? I, yeah. So I've been keeping journals, diaries for 36 years. I always I kept them for my own sanity. You know, why do we usually go to a diary at 14 years old? Why? Because your girlfriend broke up with you. Your boyfriend broke up. You got pimples on her face. Da, 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 and then I continued to keep it and found that I had a hunch that there would be something valuable in me writing things down when I was in very certain times, write things down when I felt like I was catching nothing but green lights, when I felt like I was completely on my frequency, when I was rolling and my relationships with myself, with God, with friends, with girlfriends, with school, career, was all rolling. I've had a hunch that if I wrote those things down, habits I had then would be helpful as well, and they were. Um, I threatened to go see what all those diaries slash journals had in them and if there was something worth sharing with the world in a hardback. I threatened to do that for the last 15 years, but never had the courage to do it. Um, I said, you're going to be ashamed. You're going to be embarrassed. And I went back once I got the courage to go do it with the kick in the backside from my wife to tell me. Because I had a ghostwriter on this at first. We had, I had met with a ghostwriter once. He got pulled from the project. And just as I started to say, well, I think I need to find another ghost rap. My wife walked in and we looked at each other without saying a word. She goes, you know what you got to do. You're the only one that can write it. Get out of here. And so I went away and I was embarrassed. I was ashamed at many things. But I also, a lot of things I thought I'd be embarrassed about, I laughed at. A lot of things I thought I'd be ashamed of, I was like, well, you already forgave yourself for that. Or I forgive you for that now. And all the things that people go, wow, wasn't that hard to put in the book? I was like, no, that's part of life. The ugly stuff too. The, 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 I got a lot of failures in here, but I didn't 
well in those red lights. You know what I mean? I didn't just, I tried to learn from them, but I didn't just dwell on them. And I think all of us can get something from, from that. So I started writing. I actually thought the book was going to be much more academic when I started writing, when I started pulling out my journals. And after four days, I remember, I remember saying, all right, you're trying, you have an idea of what this book should be. And the pages you're pulling out are not really, you're trying to force that idea on them. And I was like, back up, man. Just take your time. Doesn't matter how long it takes. Pull out your journal, stack up. See if you can find some, some central categories and let it tell you what it is. So categories were stories, people, places, prescribes, poems, prayers, and a whole lot of bumper stickers. So I got these seven, eight stacks in front of me. And then I was like, well, let's just go through those. Have a enjoyable read and see if a theme comes out of that. And that's where the theme of Green Lights came from. Um, and I did notice this, which seemed to be a contradiction at the time, but once again, proved not to be, was that the more personal I got, the more relatable to the most amount of people it became. Yeah. And look, I, I, don't, I don't mean, because it's not just my diary excerpts. There was 52 days in solitary confinement of writing, then a year and a half of editing to make it hopefully hand it to you in a form that was somewhat artful because also I don't believe all self-expression is art. I do believe all art is some form of self-expression. No. Um, so if I had just thrown my diaries at you, that'd have been like a bunch of self-expression without form, without structure. And you'd have been like, well, well great. Love your honesty, but so what? <laughs> How does it apply to me? So once I got it together, I started to find that theme and see how that theme of green lights revealed itself in many different ways. Uh, sometimes by engineering them in our life, sometimes by out enduring situations, sometimes by knowing when to quit butting your head against the wall, trying to get what you actually may not need or is not actually on the other side of the door, how to deal with certainty, how to deal with uncertainty, um, how to deal with failure, how to deal with success, how not to create, you know, uh, um, jackknives in the middle of your road when you're on an autobahn. Trust me, they're coming anyway. Don't, don't jackknife yourself, as I call it in my book. Don't I've done it before. Running downhill. This is great. Is it too good to be true? Boom. Face plant. Bam. Broken nose. Well, damn it. You learn. Oh, I didn't need to do that. Because <laughs> right around the corner, you go, oh, there's that hill I was looking for. Oh, now it really gets hard. So why did I make it hard on myself when it was supposed to be easy? You know, so um, I found the theme of the green lights, got personal on it, shared it. And I've really enjoyed going out and talking to people like yourself that tell me how it personally translated to them. Yeah. It's really incredible to see someone in your field, the level of success that you've had, to be so grounded, so vulnerable, so inspirational, and to be able to take what you've learned in your story and make that accessible to the world so that they could benefit from what you've been through. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for, for I'm glad that it landed on you that way and that you, you see that in it, that, that translation, you know? Yeah. I think it's what we're all looking for, even if it's in a person relationship in a, in a conversation with somebody do, do we translate does our is our intentions received as we intended them to be and you know all the way to art that you put out does it translate can someone see themselves in it can you see humanity in it and that, that was my hope for the book yeah. i remember i did i wanted to say this i did say this early on with the book yeah. i understand i'm in the position i'm in as a celebrity i understand that if I just came out and wrote whatever, if I scribbled on a bunch of pages, there are some people that are going, I'm getting it because I like Makai. I also understand that if I wrote the greatest book ever, there are people that go, I'm not reading it because McConaughey. 
And I remember saying this to myself. I was like, and telling my editors, hey, the words on these pages need to be worthy if they're signed by anonymous. But at the same time, the words on these pages need to be words that only I could have written. And so that was sort of my Janus sort of perspective place that I was saying, well, that's where we have to go just on a quality level because I can't rely, I'm not going to rely. If you like this book and you go, oh, it's just because it's, yeah, because you're a celebrity and that's what I like about you telling the stories of Hollywood that no one else saw or about, no, I didn't want to put that out. You know, celebrity is part of my journey, but it's not the one that defines my journey. You know what I mean? So that was, uh, that was always, that was also a hope to, to, to say, hey, you know, it's got, is it, is it worth putting out if you didn't write it? You know what I mean? But at the same time, how can it be something that only I could have written? Is there, just to squeeze in one more, is there anything that surprised you about yourself looking back at these things? Anything you've learned about yourself going around, being on podcasts and talking openly about this journey? Yeah. You know, the, the, what I'm, I'm going to measure this. I may need help measuring this, but I'm curious to see what the tally is of how many times did I succeed or get what I want? Because I wrote the headline, a la 92, I want to win an Oscar, and did it. Yeah. How many times did I have a great success in life? Because I just said, I'm going, I'll find out what happens. A la the African stories. I don't know. One-way ticket, dude. I don't know what I'm supposed to go learn. I'm not chasing anything in particular. I just think I need to be here because I had to dream about it twice. So I'm going. And magic came out of that story. And un and, 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 and it formed, it found its form along the way. And I'm curious, and it's probably a good exercise for all of us sometimes, is to go, well, how many things do we do we get? How many times do we get what we want? Because we plant the seed, we put the goal out there and we say, I'm going for it. And then how many times do we go, I don't know what it is I'm going for, but I'm about to find out. And I'm curious, my hunch is that it may be close in my life to 50-50. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure though. I'm not sure. I'd like to see the score. <laughs> That's super cool. So where can people get the book? Uh, Greenlights.com and any bookstore, independent bookstores, and also the biggies, the Amazons, Barnes and Nobles, and Goodreads and everywhere out there. It should be, hopefully, it, it, it's, I'm told it's it's everywhere and available out there. And there's also the audio book. I read it. I read the audio book, which was a hoot to read these stories, to read to, to read this thing. But uh, yeah, you can go to greenlights.com and also find out even more origin. And if you, you dig the, the symbol, which I do, um, uh, we got Greenlights merch, which is just, I think that symbol, I fell in love with that symbol going, that, that that's a, I see that symbol, it makes me go, oh, I don't know. I just want to go, I want to go there. Yeah. I love it. And they can, listeners can get the merch on the website, greenlights.com? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Matthew, thank you for your time, for your inspiration, for your courage. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Brandon, thanks so much. I absolutely enjoyed it. Cool. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.